Hello, folks. The crisis in Ukraine is still ongoing, and as I mentioned in the last show, it is very close to me and my family. And if you're listening to this, I'd ask you to go to den.dev slash Ukraine to find out how you can help. It's den.dev slash Ukraine. Vicente Plata is doing way more than one would expect from an engineering leader. Not only is he an engineering manager, but he also advises startups and communities, is deeply involved in various mentorship programs, and is someone who is always eager to help. In this episode, we sit down to chat more about his aspirations, how he balances time between all the responsibilities, and what someone working in tech can do to accelerate their career on an exponential trajectory. Enjoy the show. Hello, hello, folks. It's another episode of The Work Item. And today I have my good friend, uh, a former colleague in the Microsoft days, Vicente Plata. Welcome. Welcome to the show. No, thank you, man. Very, very excited to be here. Thank you for the invite. Uh, you know, I've been following the show for a while and, and I never wanted to push you, but I always uh, like wonder, hey, when am I going to be in? So happy to finally be here. Yeah. <laughs> yes, it is happening uh well, the work <laughs> item is where things are happening very excited to have you here and uh learn about your career because from all the people i know you have a pretty remarkable career let's be honest <laughs> and um you know i'll start with the fact that you're an engineering manager at shopify yeah it, it's kind of an engineering lead and manager um i think uh, the developer managers at shopify are, mo- are mostly people managers I, I was check i was actually chatting with my with my manager about it earlier today and I tend to be a little bit more into the, you know, jumping between IC and management role uh, as, as needed, right? Jumping between the IC and management. It's interesting. How, how do you do that? Well, by uh, organizing yourself very, very uh, like appropriately, I think, and uh, identifying the areas where you can actually unblock people instead of being a blocker, right? You're both a manager when the situation calls for it and an IC when the situation calls for it. So it's like the Superman of engineers. I don't want to put it that way, but at least I have super fun. So there is that. Uh, and yeah, I mean, if, if we got to do like performance reviews or whatever, I'm, I'm all in for, you know, gathering feedback and uh, matching again the expectation uh, of, of certain levels or looking at promo cases or, or what have you. Um, but if I have to code stuff and if there are not enough hands that or if it's something that is like super menial and whatever, uh, I don't know, the, the people that are actually coding uh, a nine to five are probably better than I am. So I just go and try to fix the thing or, or whatever, like quick hack and, and move it forward, right? So. I was right. You do have a remarkable career that we all <laughs> want to learn more about. So there's a lot to ask. But let's start with just your journey. How did you get to this position at Shopify? I think at the very beginning, I, I loved computers ever since I have memory and I, I like video games a lot. Uh, and I remember asking a person who my parents knew that used to fix computers, hey, how can I like actually work with computers? And he went like, oh, you probably want to learn programming. And I had no idea of what programming was, but I knew that I wanted to make video games or at the least play them a lot. And I think most of us kind of got here uh, that, that way. Um, and I had it in the back of my mind. And then once, um, I don't know, um, I was about 15 probably, I was playing soccer and I broke my leg. And I had nothing to do. Like, I was honestly a little bit of a troublemaker, you know, like graffiti and all those kind of things. And I had nothing to do. And I started learning how to code. 
Um, so time passed. I, I didn't have like mentors or whatever, and that kind of sucked a little bit. Uh, but time passed. Time went on, and and then I uh, started looking for a for a job. Right. I, I was like, well, I I need to do something, and I met this person um, who was trying to get people to help uh, NGOs and you know general like uh, organizations and whatever with with code with technology. He had like a big company in Mexico, a big software company in Mexico, and I started getting there. Then uh, he introduced me to the first Java champion in, in Latin America, and I worked with him for a little bit. I, I became like his mentee, writing documentation and testing his software a lot, and then he taught me in exchange. And, and then I joined a consultancy uh, in Mexico, and there were like a lot of interesting gigs from there. So um, I worked with the army when, when all the war on drugs started to teach them defensive coding a lot, uh, banks and whatever, and worked for some companies in the States afterwards. But... Eventually, uh, I wanted to uh, migrate, uh, like to, to move aboard, and that's how I uh, started, you know, knocking a lot of doors. I think it's worth pointing out that at no, po at no point uh, thus far, I've talked about um, uh, university or, or like uh, the high school even, because I didn't attend. I, I didn't have an opportunity to, to like to attend like anything other than, than high school, maybe. And even then I flunked. So like, okay, boomer. Um, But uh, I chatted with Microsoft and, and they were like, okay, your background looks very cool because, you know, of security and whatever, um, based on what did you do with the military and with some other companies here and there. Um, so what if you join O365 security? And that's pretty much what I did. Uh, they moved me to Canada, though, because it was relatively easier to, to get to Canada versus the States if you didn't have like the educational credentials. And that's how it, was, how it all started. And um, then I moved between teams uh, at Microsoft, and that's pretty much how we met, right? Like very serendipitously, like we, we were uh, sitting behind one another, and I was like, okay, this guy's talking about documentation, and, and I think he knows his stuff. So, yo, how are you doing? I'm Vicente. Oh, I'm there. Okay, cool. <laughs> I was very envious of your three-letter Twitter username, because I was like, wait, what? How did you get that? Uh, XNT, for folks that don't know. Yeah. Uh, but... Long journey. So that that's quite a bit of stuff. And I, I like that it starts with video games because I feel like this is a very, uh, in a good way, common story where folks start video games and they're like, this is kind of cool. I want to build this. And that bootstraps their career. And it seems like that's precisely what's happening here. Yeah. Did you ever like have any interest on, on you know, following the video game path, by the way? Or is that what you what, what you in tech as well? Uh, a little bit. I think so. Because I remember playing some old, old video games, like MS-DOS kind of games before graduating to something more on the, the Windows side of things. And I remember my intro to programming was essentially figuring out, we're just going through the folder full of those game files, figuring out what can I edit to tweak how the game behaves, right? This was back in the day before DRM and everything being encrypted and, and flight, right? So I could actually like, open a config file and be like gravity equals zero and then all of a sudden the cars start flying in this game and you're like what mind blown but <laughs> you know it simpler times but i think it was that was kind of the intro but then that definitely was a big part of bootstrapping the interest in it i think yeah. guaranteed it's games I mean, I did want to get, as you may remember, we worked closely with the folks at the coalition, um, like the Gears of Wars uh, guys and all that. And I did want to get there. I interviewed with them. But then when I when I started seeing like the kind of 
the the amount of work that they put and it's not like i don't like what i do i love what i do but not to that level like you know superhero every two weeks or what have you which is common sadly apparently in the gaming industry i'm like yeah no i think i'm good with web pages i i, I think it's, it's it's sexy anyways yeah <laughs> It's, it's interesting for sure, because this is the perception that you hear a lot about the gaming industry as a whole, right? Like the concept of crunch. I have not talked to anyone in the game industry that has not experienced that at some point. Now, I can't generalize it to every company for sure, but it's definitely something that seems to be very widespread. And same as you. At some point, I was like, man, building games sounds like fun, <laughs> right? Like you'll just you know, write your code and then you grab a controller and play through it and see like what the bugs are. But then I just realized that, yeah, and then you have no other pieces of your life ever. How do you relax when you're building games 24-7? Like, do you think uh, people actually play other games, play their own games? Like, I don't know. Eh? You know, it's a good point. Because if you're, if that's what you're building day in, day out, like, is playing a video game relaxing at that point? Or is it just more, <laughs> so it's like, oh my gosh, no, this is Are you, exactly are you looking at the bugs and the renders and the sprites and all that and go like, oh no, you're doing it wrong. Oh my goodness. No, no, no. Imagine that. Yeah. It gives a whole new perspective to folks that are looking at definitive editions and all of a sudden start figuring out, I was like, this is, I know exactly where the bug is, right? <laughs> um, which is fascinating because... Sometimes was it? I think it was Grand Theft Auto Five that a couple of months ago somebody, a guy or a person, complete third party, found an issue with the game because it took forever to load, and they're like, "Oh, well, you're parsing this response JSON from your service, and you're using this string function in C that, and you're incorrectly you're loading the whole string in memory every single time parsing every single property." And I was like, "How do you?" find that like what <laughs> led you to figuring out that this is where i need to start looking right like yeah. some people just have that innate skill i think but you know to each their own yeah so yeah i mean and and yeah to to try to pick it up uh, where, where we left it like i think i had some cool managers at microsoft and some not so cool managers and that's how we realized like the difference that actually leading people and managing people makes and as you may recall, we onboarded a lot of folks there, uh, you know, from universities around the world. And I try to help them, like, get used to the Microsoft way of doing things, but also to the city and the country and whatever. And that also, like, spiked my interest for, for leading and, and mentoring, whatever, right? And I just had an opportunity in Toronto to, like, work with a, a company that I worked with before that was acquired by a company in Toronto. So I had this team in uh, Toronto and in the States and in Mexico of developers, engineers, and a lot. And they were trying to figure out how the acquisition would work. So I, I sadly left uh, Microsoft Vancouver a lot and Vancouver School, moved to Toronto. Then I started working at a telehealth uh, startup that, you know, went public and unicorn a lot. And I learned like a lot, a lot, a lot. And that's how I think my path uh, like bifurcated. I, I left the telehealth company uh, because I wanted to test two things. First, how it felt to be back in the semi-corporate world, like at Shopify, which I mean, it's not fully corporate as what we are probably used to, but it's bigger than a startup and it has more red tape and whatever. But at the same time, I'm like, okay, I've learned a considerable amount of stuff. What if I try to share it? What if I start doing like a side gig of, you know, like an advisor to, to companies that particularly, but not exclusively in Latin America, 
how can we make them grow? How can can I share what I've learned so far? Like, you know, mistakes for the most part and a couple of apparently like accurate choices and decisions. How can we try to empower like uh, other people to to like uh, go through the path that, that I went, right? And that's pretty much what leads, what leads us here. Shopify wide, uh, wise, if I, I got a gig at the shop app by integrating uh, ShopPay. So I basically uh, started like uh, uh, whatever has to do with shop pay within the app, within the shop app, like the shopping and order tracking app and all that. That's what my team uh, looks at. And every now and then it's the other way around. Like if there is something related to the app within the pay uh, product, then we also look at it. And we're So we're very like, and again, it has to do with this thing we were talking about, like, uh, you know, managing and, and ICing and all that. Um, same thing, like full stack, like really full stack, mobile, web, every now and then a little bit of backend and DevOps and data. And yeah, just, just making it happen. One area that is interesting that you called out is that the education component, right? And the, you mentioned from the very beginning that the university in high school was not the path that you decided to necessarily kind of go through to the very end. Um, when we talk to a lot of folks that want to get hired in the industry, that want to break in the industry in any capacity, any role, they talk about, you know, I absolutely must have a computer science education. I absolutely must have a boot camp certificate or some kind of credential that tells them that you are qualified. Have you encountered any challenges breaking into the industry not having that credential or that i want to say like the the way in that is very traditional yeah so first off it was not exactly my choice like it was a family issue that didn't allow my my father to like keep uh, uh, supporting me uh, so what what i mean to say is i'm not here like telling people that are probably studying and you know watching us like hey do not go to school like if you can do it, go ahead and do it. Uh, whether it's like a hundred percent return on investment or not, like it's uh, debatable. But you should definitely do it if you can, right? Uh, but I don't think I ever faced like backlash from uh, engineering uh, uh, people. Like uh, generally speaking, if you can get things done and you show that you get things done a lot, it's not a biggie. Moving somewhere else or participating on certain, you know, like a process, like I know RFPs that that require people to have a degree or and all that. Like you needed to find either creative ways around it or simply shy away from it. But the good thing about tech, pretty much, or software, pretty much eating the world. Like if you don't mind the quote, is that there is like a, a big area of impact and and a lot of different places where you can hack, right? And that's also. Why I started like mentoring people one on one because I saw a lot of folks in Latin America that for any reason couldn't move to the states or Canada or Europe or what have you or didn't want to and that's perfectly fair. So how can you exponentially increase like both your income, your knowledge, your network and all that, even if you are there, right? So I mean it's doable now. Back then, I don't think there were even like 17 years ago formal boot camps that 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 would extend like a, a certificate or I I didn't know of any. But now I think it's more doable. If you can go through the regular way, then go for it. But I also know a lot of friends who pivoted. Like they studied, I don't know, uh, for being lawyers or being, I don't know, accountants or whatever, and they ended up pivoting, right? So that's something you can do as well. It's interesting though that there's still jobs that do post the requirement. You know, you have to have a computer science degree to even apply. And in the age of scalable applications, when they get automatically rejected, when you say yes, no, yes, no, right? There is a certain barrier 
that you still need to overcome against that. What's your advice for folks that want to break through that, right? Because that seems like it's a baseline filter and there's folks that know their stuff that get blocked at that kind of arbitrary constraint that you have to have this credential. But I mean, do you want to break through that though? Like, isn't it a red flag or a smell? Like if, if and I mean, there may be some reasonable, uh, uh, yeah, excuses or, or whatever, uh, uh, like a mind, a mind uh, said going through it that justifies uh, uh, having this uh, blocker. But I think every now and then it's more of a matter of either ignorance or gatekeeping, right? And the question is, do you want to be a part of uh, like a place with that kind of culture Honestly, and it may be more of an entitlement or whatever, but honestly, I rather wouldn't, right? I think I, I, I'd actually be thankful for, for that uh, showcasing a part of the culture that I do not necessarily feel comfortable with, right? Uh, so, and I mean, you, you got to put the work and you got to show. Uh, I'm, I'm not uh, um, arguing for, you know, this, this, uh, some folks that go like, oh, there shouldn't be interviews and there shouldn't be pair programming. And there should... No, I mean, you, you got to show, show it somehow. But I'm not sure if that's the way you want to show that you can do things, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I think there is a certain degree of contacting the people responsible for the job. I'll put it this way. Sometimes it helps so much to just be able to go on LinkedIn and find somebody that works at company X or a specific organization, whether it's you know a governmental agency or maybe it's a nonprofit, and say, hey, I'm interested in this job. I'm such and such. What would you recommend? It's shockingly efficient. And like in the past, I've done like cold outreach to people. I don't know if you've ever done that to just reach out to people that do not know you and get their their advice. Uh, no, I don't think so. You know, again, and, and on that aspect, I feel fortunate that I somehow landed, uh, uh, you know, getting to know people that were doing some cool stuff uh, in my home country back then. And nowadays, like uh, inadvertently, like connecting with folks like, I don't know, with you, for example, and with other people doing uh, uh, cool stuff like in the East Coast and what, I've never had to do like a, a cold uh, uh, intro by myself. But if you want to, I, I don't think that'd be a biggie, right? I think you got to feel like confident. And what's the words that can happen? Like you get ignored, okay, whatever. There is no blacklist or no block list or whatever, at least not that I know of. Uh, where we go like, okay, no, this guy just sends him a lot. No, we're like, okay, there are companies that particular like recruiting agencies that can be overly, uh, I don't know, noisy or whatever. But on an individual basis, it is not like, oh no, Dan always sends like cold emails. We're not going to answer him anymore, right? Right. And it's also not, you know, don't do like a mass distribution, right? Where you're sending the same, you know, three sentence message to everyone tailored to people that you actually care about talking to, right? If I want to talk to you, I want to talk about engineering at Shopify. I'm not going to say, here's some random question that I had. You never talked to me before, but I'd love your answer, right? Tailor it. Tailor the messaging. Yeah, and I, and I always try to, uh, it's not like you need to have something to offer, but, but try to try to spark the interest, try to spark the interest on the people that you're reaching out to, right? Like, do we have anything in common? Or are there like, uh, I don't know, be it people or maybe industries, or is there anything interesting that you've done that I should probably take a look at and, you know, grab my interest? And we live, I think, on a, on a like a, a pretty much a, a, an attention economy of sorts. Like everything is trying to fight for your attention. We have like a plethora of notifications in like a Slack, like you were telling me before we, we began recording. And then you got like the messages and then you got a WhatsApp and then you... So, everything's trying to fight for your attention. How are you going to get the attention, right? Like try, try to put yourself on other people's like uh, 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 shoes 
how how would you grab their attention and yeah try try to offer something right even if it's knowledge or if it's a joke or a meme or whatever yeah and I'm now looking forward to somebody just messaging me a random meme because I enjoy those. <laughs> I enjoy discovering new ones that I have never seen before. So if you have memes, tweet them at me. Uh, but I want to transition to a part that you just were talking about, right? You're an engineering manager, tech lead. You are a mentor and you're also an advisor. Tell me more, what made you consider becoming an advisor in addition to all the things that you're already doing. Yeah, no, totally. I mean, again, I, I started to think about like, how can you exponentialize like your impact? How can you have like more, more of an area of impact than, than, than you do right now, like with a proper nine to five job, right? Yeah. And I started thinking about like uh, the, the deltas that I saw. So when I started assembling the, the team uh, for Hims and Hers in, in Mexico and Latin America, I, I saw like some deltas not only in the engineers, I would say the deltas on the engineers were not that noticeable, but actually on the companies that we happen to steal talent from. I mean, to, to be honest, right? And I'm like, okay, there is definitely like a mismatch, uh, um, even at a cultural level, but also at a technical level. So how can we help? How can we like build more? How can we like do better, right? And uh, I, I got contacted with a couple of them directly. Um, and, and I was contacted by a couple of them indirectly. So from the folks that I'd mentored, some of them started working at some sort of, and they were like, okay, you should chat with our CEO or with our CTO or whatever, with, with one of the co-founders. And that's how we started like building a small network, right? And then based on that, we had like SyncSano every two weeks or maybe sent an, an email or a WhatsApp message every other day. And that's how we started like looking at which ones I felt the most chemistry with, like the most connection and, and the most potential for having like a, a good impact and, and for, you know, moving the needle with them. And yeah, we, we started like working together. And I think it's a very ad hoc thing. Like um, people people sometimes go like, what do you do as an advisor? And I'm like, well, man, I have this experience and I know these folks and, and I've been through this and that. And it's very ad hoc, right? Like um, I try not to code for them because there may be some like legal nuisances to it. And also like you don't want to fish for people. You just want to like tell them how to fish. But every now and then, like, let's create, I don't know, the skeleton of a new app. Okay, off you go, right? If you're afraid of it, like, having shape or how are you going to put it on the, on the CA pipeline or whatever, let's do it, like, quickly and just to start, like, getting your people to work on it, right? Or, or I don't know, like, intros or, or maybe trying to provide some uh, a strategic guidance on, on what kind of products to use or what kind of technologies to go for what. That's part of what I do. Um, um, and there are people who have also described it as a, CTO for hire, something like that, where it's like, okay, I know this is coming because, well, fortunately, I, I think I, I happen to be like doing stuff all day and whatever. So I kind of feel like this is coming. You better keep an eye for it, uh, keep an eye out for it, or, or try to adapt to it or what have you. Hiring processes, which is something that a lot of companies struggle with, particularly nowadays. How can we optimize it? How can we make it more uh, motivating uh, for, for people to like apply or to like hang into your process and how can we polish it and whatever. So yeah, it's, it's very, very, very ad hoc. Yeah. The part about helping others by projecting also your experience and your challenges and your struggles to something that others have maybe zero visibility into. 
Like I, 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 I was thinking about you know stuff like uh, uh, compliance and, and regulations. I was chatting about it with, with a founder actually earlier today that she knew it in the context of her country, but she had no idea that things in the States were completely different for either health or, you know, CGIS or like FISMA or whatever. So we're talking about it, right? And it's the kind of things that you get a plan in your architecture to an extent, right? Like a, it's not as easy. And so she, she was telling me like, hey, what if I just set up like a, a multi-tenant app? And I'm like, that'll be awesome. And, you know, a new tenant for each country. But what about where you're storing the data, right? Or what about like who is getting access to that data that goes a little bit beyond just a, a new schema in the database and what, right? So th that's pretty much what helps you. The perspective and just the nudges in the right direction. I think this is an underestimated piece in advising and mentorship that sometimes folks over-index on the concrete answer instead of having that little bit of direction where you can just gives you an idea of what am I not thinking about? What am I missing in my picture that I'm painting that sometimes an advisor can be very helpful for those things. Yeah, there's also the knowing what's possible, right? Another, another founder that I was chatting with a couple of days ago, I think uh, she had another advisor that told me you shouldn't use React Native, right? Even though their app, it was written in Ionic, I think, and, and it wasn't honestly like that complex. And I went in and, okay, do you do like, I don't know, video streaming? No. Animations? No. Okay. Well, I mean, I, I am writing, I think, the fourth most popular shopping app like uh, in the States and, and in Canada. And we're doing it with React Native and it works awesome. So let's, I mean, first you show him what's possible. And then again, you write like a small skeleton of it and you go like, okay, what's the problem, right? Like uh, it, it's just like the, the best way for you, from my opinion, to go forward. But people do not have the the time like imagine that they're fundraising and they're trying to assemble the team and they're trying to so you gotta cover them like offer them air cover to an extent right beware of advisors that point you to cloud architecture diagrams because you're going to be paying six thousand dollars a month for your <laughs> wordpress blog that you don't need <laughs> word of caution for advisors but You do a lot. So advising, mentorship, how do you balance time? What's your secret? What is your trick to making sure that you make time for everything and nothing gets dropped? My agenda, I think I, I set up like some cool integrations in Google Calendar. I have like a, a, a Google account for like a Google for Business account for my own stuff and then the Shopify one. So I try to pay a lot of attention. And, you know, I also cheat a little bit in the sense that Uh, since I'm on the East Coast, uh, folks on Central Time and Pacific Time, like yourself, like you're you're generally like ramping down by now, whereas I I already had dinner, right? So uh, it it also helps a lot. I I am relentless, and honestly, like I don't know when my daughters are sleeping or whatever. Every now and then I play games, but honestly, I just love technology and I love helping people. So I, I start reading or maybe writing, writing emails, doing interests and going through to-dos or preparing like training, uh, training uh, paths or, or whatever. So I think it's just a, a matter of actually loving what you do. And, and I feel very fortunate by it, right? Uh, I, I think it's, a, it's a, something that we rarely stop to think about where I could be like pretty much doing this all day, right? And, and I was chatting with someone on the... A creator economy startup, and, and we were talking about how a lot of people, like, unfortunately, uh, like doing something like YouTube videos or, or uh, TikTok videos and whatever, and it's very hard for them to live from it, right? And and I mean, we're, we're trying to fix it with one of the one of the startups that I that, that I advise, like uh, Miss Fans, for example, in Latin America, but 
we are lucky that we we can actually do it, do what we love, and if we put a little bit of a little bit of brain into it and a little bit of heart into it, we're perfectly able to make a living and and even more, right? I love your thinking in this domain because you're essentially saying that it's important to one love what you do because realistically we're spending a lot of time doing this. Our jobs, look, man, it's nine to five, right? It's that's a that's a heck of a lot of hours spent you know, weekly, monthly, if it's something that constantly drains you of your energy, if it's something that's constantly kind of just weighing you down. And I, I realize that this is coming from a position of privilege, right? Where folks can be like, I can choose a different job. And I recognize that there are situations where I need to pay my bills. I'll take any job. But if you can't, and if you're in that position to choose what to work on, it sure as heck makes a ton of difference to work on something that you actually care about because I've experienced being close to burnout because of the job that I was in before that I was just kind of like nah man I'm good this is it's just it's it's weighing on you yeah no I, I think we chatted about it right and and I mean to 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 be honest I, I'm also seeing a lot of people that are in this purely for the money and I mean I don't want to be overly harsh because I, I understand like econ economic hardship and all that. Uh, it's not like you're not welcome. You're absolutely welcome. And, and I'm happy that you're here. But if you want to go a few steps like above that, if you want to like get with the heavyweights and if you, you're going to have to find something in addition to money, not they are not exclusive. They, they are not like at this junction. But I mean, money is awesome, but you got to find something besides money that keeps you going, right? Be it help people, or learn things, get to know folks, or I don't know, like it's up to you, like try to do a little bit of introspection and see if you can find anything to like keep going, right? Yes. And the industry is big. There's just so much stuff happening. I think this is the part where, as you were talking, it just reminded me of the fact that I have more projects than I have time. <laughs> I, I honestly have so many things. Just the other day, I, well, not the other day, like a couple of weeks ago, I started getting into the new Halo, which is a video game for folks that don't know. And my first hunch, unlike people that were just like, I'm going to play and enjoy this game, is like, I wonder if there's an API that powers <laughs> I wonder how do they track match stats? And can I build a dashboard for myself that tracks of my performance and i actually started diving into it and just kind of digging through the the possibilities here and getting into like oh i need to do you know transparent proxy i have no idea what that is i'm gonna start testing it and see how to do this but it comes from that position as what you described you really have to love what you do to be like i love fiddling with this stuff i love building stuff if you're not right you're you're not going to be coming up with a lot of very creative solutions because you're just kind of like in and in, in. I, I remember what you did with uh, what was it, uh, Spotify Wrapped, right? Like all that. Spotify like, Wrapped? Yeah, like with uh, checking at the network calls and putting a, what was it, a Fiddler or a Charles Proxy or something and seeing how it worked. Yes. That's something that you don't see a lot of people doing. And I mean, we may have like an idea of how it works, but it takes that level of like passion and actually wanting to uh, learn how things work and a lot, like to, to actually keep moving forward, right? I think that's pretty much a big part of what got you to to where you are right now right absolutely it's curiosity i want to know how stuff works it's what gets people to you know fiddle with legos and build things it's just the curiosity of i wonder what's inside 
and what can I do with it? Yeah, and I, and I mean, in, in my case, I feel it's more about building things. Uh, I mean, yeah, I do care. Like, you need to know how they work in order to build them, but probably not to that level of tinkering that, that you get into, right? In my case, it's just build it, ship it, measure it, change it. Let's go for it, like, and charge for it. And okay, let's go, right? So there are different motivations. And people, like, they probably look at it from the outside and go like, hey, both of these guys are just, like, nerds pretty much, like, cut with the same uh, cookie cutter or whatever. But even inside, there are different motivators and you got to find your own, right? I love the perspective, the, the the motivators and figuring out what that is for you beyond just kind of the material recognition for your work, which is very important. But there's so much more to it that you can discover if you just ask the question, why? And it's it's a perspective that I think also grows with time. I, I, I find that the motivators change. And especially for folks that are starting in the industry, sometimes like when, when I was in the position of coming to a new job, I didn't have much choice, right? It's either I take the job that's being offered to me or I have to leave the country. Choice is very binary at that point, right? (laughs) It's a yes or no. But as you kind of progress through your career, as you progress and you mature in the industry, you start getting options. You start getting doors becoming more open that were not open before. You start getting more choice that comes with time and i think these motivators too like it's okay to start with the motivator that you're like you know what this is a boring project it's a product that nobody uses but it pays right it's a great starting point to learn to understand how this works and grow into it it takes time nothing's overnight you may as well want to become an expert on boring stuff, right? And you probably see yourself doing a relatively boring stuff forever. Like I got a buddy who really loves uh, optimizing SQL queries. And I mean, I have no issues with SQL or with databases. I like them, but not to that level of being like an expert in SQL optimization. And last time we chatted, he got like some very, very good job offers like uh, of, of companies that really needed that, right? Uh, it was his motivator, like to see how, how much he could optimize the select or, or the kind of filters that he could create to make things, I don't know, three or four times faster or less resource, resource consuming a lot. So it's okay. You just got to learn how to frame it, right? You just got to learn like a, the, the, point of view, the, the point of view from which the prism from which you look at it and how you can yeah, eventually uh, productize it, so to speak. Well, and boring stuff is everywhere. Ask yes. somebody that builds banking systems, yes. like the underlying backbone. It's probably what Fortran, Cobol, something, one of those, and there's probably like two programmers. Java, in the Java eight, if you're lucky, right? That's or Java yeah. eight, if you're lucky, right? So there's probably like two programs in the world that still write Cobol, but I guarantee you they're in high demand and they can charge so much for their skills and abilities, right? It's boring stuff, but it's the boring stuff that gets used a lot. Question for you then. So we talked about advising, which is very important. And it's it's a skill that you developed. For somebody that is completely new to this, they heard you talk about it and they're like, yeah, I want to become an advisor too. What should they do to break into that role? Because the, the path there seems to be a little bit more unclear compared to more traditional, say, computer science path. If I want to become a product manager, I do this. If I want to become an engineer, I do that. What about an advisor of startups? So th- there are two things to it, and, and they may sound like a little bit counterintuitive or, or cynic or I don't know, but one of them is uh, we sometimes try to be overly 
humble and shy and it's okay to be humble but it's not okay to be to be shy about your achievements right uh, i think when you are actually like uh, uh showing up what you can do or what you've done a lot and sharing it with the world be it, be it via twitter or linkedin or i mean uh, generally i wouldn't necessarily speak about tiktok for that because well the, the audience is different a lot but maybe twitter or linkedin tend to be sufficient uh people start noticing you and they go like okay maybe he or she knows what what they are talking about right so that'll be the first thing like uh, try to think about your achievements in in terms that are like uh, important or relevant to whatever people are going through right and that you can um, um I, i don't know if productizing it is the right word but that you can uh, reuse them uh, in other in other places right and the other one and and i got to say I do not feel particularly comfortable saying it but it's about networking and and it's about like uh, the kind of connections that you have. Now, I happen to be like fortunate enough that being in in the field for I don't know 17 years or something, eventually just start getting to know people that make it somehow and and that they are in such a space that they can interview to to other folks that can help you like get into it, right? And I would assume like as uh, advising gets commoditized it's going to be way easier to like break into it right but right now I think uh, like getting getting to know people either for breaking through or for connecting uh, and for you know uh, make people network between one another is super important so you, you really got to trust on on your network and and have a very clear understanding of what your friends and what your acquaintances what acquaintances are doing now and yeah like uh, not being shy necessarily of you know connecting one with another see how they can bring value like between themselves and create some small networks and, and let it let it just flow through right uh, i think that that's generally what i've been doing and, and how i've been able to like uh, break again a lot of it came because of the folks that I helped at some point they landed a gig and they were like hey can you help us out here and I'm like yeah okay why not right and that's how it all started and then when you got like a a a, a portfolio of our or a Rolex of I say uh, 15 companies that you've been working with for for the last couple of months they go like okay he probably knows his stuff right like uh, because he has like uh, how to prove it and, and the references on that right so it, it's just a, um, yeah like a game that keeps getting bigger and bigger but just as you start playing it right but all these experiences that you had and the many lessons learned that got you to be an advisor if you look at one unconventional piece of career advice that you'd give somebody knowing what you know now that wants to follow in your footsteps what would it be so yesterday i was talking about the uh, metaphor of the pigs and the chickens right and i think like you being in in project uh, management a while ago you you probably heard about it from the scrum foundation and generally it goes like this uh imagine that a chicken and a pig want uh, to put a, a breakfast a restaurant business uh, and they want to offer like uh, eggs and bacon or eggs and ham and there's a difference between the chicken and the pig because the chicken just you know drops the eggs and 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 moves away with the lights but the the pig's actually got a skin in the game right and i think initially when when i started and and when a lot of people start in the software industry uh, or you know building things they take a lot of pride in being pigs and there is nothing wrong with being pigs like we we need more pigs and chickens that for sure but eventually i think you you got to be like a very uh humble and realize that in some moments you got to be a chicken like yeah you're going to provide value but you're going to optimize for optionality and and then just try to again uh drive this network effects forward 
rather than just being completely uh, invested and having a lot of skin in the game. And you know what? I, I've done it a couple of times, uh, being very invested in technologies or in companies or in roles or in whatever, and then being like burned by it. You learn a lot from it, but you 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 can enjoy. At least in my experience, it it makes it it makes sense to every now and then try to be a chicken and try to just like put enough to be of value without necessarily being at risk. So it's gonna come with time. Like uh, obviously, as you start, the expectation is for you to like keep your all and you know uh, uh, put put up with pretty much whatever comes at you a lot. But try to look at the possibility of being a chicken uh, after being a pig for a while and, and see if it fits you. It may as well not, right? Um, but just see if it fits you and, and, and if that's something you like. That is wonderful advice and ties in very well to what you talked about from the very beginning, which is finding ways to make your impact exponentially grow. It's not just the linear, you know, the higher I progress in my career, the more impact I have. You have to figure out how to get yourself out of the picture and more stuff gets still done, right? And that's challenging. Just empower, unblock, connect, and move forward, yeah. Absolutely. Vicente, it's been fantastic chatting you and learning so much from you, my friend. But I want to also ask you, where can folks find you online if they want to follow your adventures? I think the easiest way, and you mentioned already, is on Twitter, like uh, XNT. Um, but I also have like a vplata, V-P-L-A-T-A dot D-E-V, vplata.dev. Ooh, dev domain. Yeah, of course. <laughs> You'll find all the links. Like I would say Insta, it's XNT87, but it's mostly, you know, like, I don't know, uh, Canadian winters and, and dogs and, and animals and all that. So it may not be as interesting, but if you want to go with it, the, the one I use the most is Twitter. I, I think it's evident. So it's XNT on Twitter. It's strangely common how many tech people stick with Twitter, but it's awesome. <laughs> That's that's where you find awesome stuff. Vicente, thank you so much for being with us on the show today. Thank you very much for the invite. It's been a pleasure. And yeah, well, uh, happy to hopefully be, be of, uh, yeah, be helpful. It's been fantastic. Take care, man.